Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. So thrilled to introduce you to our very special guest for today's show. Shannon is a professional at a very special intersection that includes pretty much all the things we talk about in this podcast. She is a plant-based dietitian and passionate about vegan foods. She is also an anti-diet dietitian, taking her clients along a new path to all-encompassing well-being and health through intuitive eating and each person's specific circumstances, preferences, lifestyles. And to top things off, she actually coaches her clients in the kitchen to find a way of shopping, planning, prepping, and cooking to help make life easier and to help people connect with their food and ingredients in a new way. I found our conversation so inspiring and especially chock full of practical tips and knowledge from the harm that can come with dieting to leaving the dieting mindset behind and reconnecting to yourself and your body to what the experience is like when you walk into a non-diet dietitian's office to dealing with dieting conversations with family members and friends, the differences between meal planning and meal prepping. We talk about how to share meals with our partners or family who might eat in a different way and so much more. And she also shares so much of her personal story with health and dieting and her journey to more balanced exercise habits with us. And if you've ever watched her very entertaining reels on Instagram, I can tell you right now, she is just as fun and bubbly and genuine and honest as she comes across in social media. Shannon Costello is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and plant-based culinary coach based in Maryland, USA. She inspires her clients to ditch the dieting mindset through kitchen therapy and intuitive eating while exploring new foods and flavors. You can connect with Shannon by visiting her website and also have a consultation with her. Her website is www.chefshannonnutrition.com. You can also connect through her via Instagram. She is a wonderful account to follow with so many entertaining and inspiring and also just knowledge-filled posts and reels at Chef Shannon Nutrition. Before we get started with this incredible conversation chock full of practical tips, here's a note from our sponsor for today's show. This episode is brought to you by our signature online program, My Bramble. My Bramble is an ongoing program, all in video format, in which I teach you how to cook delicious vegan meals, get organized, give you support on your vegan journey, as well as the tools to help you find a more mindful and balanced place with food and eating. But most of all, it's an ever-growing library of online vegan cooking classes with new content added every single week. There's so much more included in the program, so go ahead and visit mybrownbull.com to learn all the details and to give it a try. That's M-Y-B-R-O-W-N-B-L-E dot com. 
Now on with the show. Shannon, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. It's truly an honor. I am such a fan of your work. Thank you so much. No, I am equally excited to be here. I love your podcast and all the cooking instruction that you provide us via <laughs> technology. It's great. I love it. Um, Shannon, I have so many questions for you today, but I thought that I would start at, at this this very sort of interesting intersection you do your work in, which is not that common. And our whole podcast is about that. And I have to tell you, it is not easy to find guests that have these two merging sort of areas of expertise. And, and that's the combination of being a plant-based dietitian, but also a non-diet dietitian. So I'm just very curious as to how you got to this very unique place that I'm personally so grateful for all of the professionals doing this work. Yeah, no, you're so right. It's very uncommon, but thankfully we see both of these aspects growing a lot in not just the nutrition space, but with a lot of health professionals. And I have to say it's a combination of so many factors that got me to this point in both my personal health journey, but also in my career as a dietitian. Um, so goodness, where do I even begin? I can start with the plant-based aspect. Um, mm -hmm. As a high schooler, I was experiencing a lot of difficult symptoms and um, challenging times with my health that was really hard to navigate at that point in time. And it was doctor appointment after doctor appointment and all these different tests that really weren't giving me clear answers. And it led me to try a elimination diet specifically with gluten, but also lots of other food sensitivities. And I just came to realize that um, not only did I have hypothyroidism at a very young age, but I also just had a really sensitive gut. And so right then I knew nutrition was going to have a huge impact on my health and well-being. Yes. Well, fast forward a couple of years, I go to college and, you know, I'm a free adult at that point. Don't really take into account how the change in my diet from living at home where I have total control to living in a very small town in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and having to eat out of a cafeteria for every meal just drastically changed it, changed like how I felt. So Thankfully, I, you know, took a lot of time to do my own research. And when I started living on my own during those college years, I experimented a lot in the kitchen and I took it upon myself to, you know, really, really tune in to how nutrition was going to affect me. I was a college athlete and I knew I wanted to continue with an active lifestyle after college. So that was really important to me and, and how I fueled myself. But also as a college student, uh, affordability was a huge thing. So mm -hmm. that's when I went mostly vegetarian, unless it was a special occasion or, you know, it was a meal that maybe I wasn't paying for. <laughs> but I definitely leaned towards a lot of plant-based foods at that time. Yeah. Um, then when I graduated from college, 
you know, I tried to incorporate maybe a little bit of poultry and, and fish back in, but it really just wasn't sitting well with me. Of course, you know, eliminating things from your diet is going to cause your body to not be able to digest them as well, but it just wasn't worth the effort for me to try to incorporate those animal-based foods back in because I really didn't want to. I, you know, wanted to do things that were beneficial to the environment and I do care about animals. So that played a role in it too. And it kind of just like stuck with me and motivated me forward to continue on more of that plant-based journey. But so it was a blend of, you know, college affordability and experimentation, but then also this food intolerance uh, journey that I went on myself. And you know, I, occasionally I'll, you know, bring in eggs to my diet because I just enjoy what you can do with eggs, honestly. So I went a period of time where I was 100% plant-based and it was great. It was fine. But then I got to a point in my life where it was, it was really time consuming. I thought I had to make everything from scratch and, you know, there was no joy in it for me anymore because I was, I got to this point where I was just being so restrictive and this kind of blends into where I am now with the non-diet approach. But, you know, I was so hyper-focused on, you know, making sure I was eating foods that I wasn't super sensitive or intolerant to, but then also trying to eliminate animal-based foods. And I became obsessive with it. And I just, I couldn't get away from always thinking about food and, you know, gravitating towards only making things from scratch and not eating out, you know, like avoiding social situations because I wasn't going to have anything to eat there or I would eat before and I would just kind of like sit in in pity of myself because I wasn't eating all the other foods that people were eating. Right. It just was not fun. Mentally and physically, I was not feeling the way I should when I was paying such close attention to my health. And I I slowly saw the effects of that after, you know, several pushes from my doctor who's like, when are you going to take a chill pill and just (laughs) relax a little bit? (laughs) You know, doctors get a lot of doctors get a bad rap in the non-diet and anti-diet world. But I have to say, sometimes doctors are also very chill and they can see when things are getting a little bit obsessive and can point that out. Yes, yes, (laughs) absolutely. And, you know, another piece to this kind of non-diet approach is that my undergrad is actually in exercise and sports science. And I grew up, my whole family grew up playing, you know, multiple sports year round. So I was a very active person and, and that was really important to me to maintain, but that's another piece of, you know, quote, health that got obsessive. So, you know, I really had to learn, you know, what type of activity was going to feel best for me where it wasn't putting added stress on my body at the same time as, you know, not eating enough. And, you know, that little trifecta of (laughs) habits that we get into that lead to too much of a good thing is not a good thing anymore. So, this whole journey of, you know, elimination diet, doing my own, you know, nutrition research at a young age with intolerances, um, experimenting with different like eating patterns as far as plant-based foods, then also having the combination of, you know, restriction and over-exercising, you know, it took years to learn that this is 
not the right approach for my body and probably not for anybody. And it's just been a huge relief to be free of that and to not be thinking about food or exercise 24-7. So that's where I am today, wanting to express that to everyone else. <laughs> it is uh, it is a before and after when you really can leave all of that obsession behind. You realize how time-consuming and how thought-consuming and just life-robbing it is. And yeah, I can totally relate to your story. I have a couple of questions. So you said you were a college athlete. You need mm-hmm. to tell us what sport you practiced or was it running? Was it track? Was it, what was it? Just very curious. I played college soccer. Really? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I almost actually played soccer and tennis. Um, The tennis team kept asking me to play (laughs) both sports. (laughs) And I was, thankfully I was not too overwhelmed with committing to both sports. But yeah, I played soccer my entire life, tennis my like all through college too, just as for fun. But after college, I uh, transitioned into endurance running, which was my passion up until actually a couple years ago when I broke my femur when running. And running has just not been the same for me since then. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, Shannon. That sounds, first of all, incredibly painful. And uh, my goodness, what a a challenge uh, to have to heal that. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, What does your relationship to movement or exercise look like now? Oh my gosh, it is so, so different. Like up until the day I broke my leg, it was running probably almost every day, almost every day for sure, um, including some strength training workouts. And then I did a lot of yoga too. So that was more of my like active recovery and stretching. Um, And since then, I've really relied more heavily on strength training and flexibility. I lost Mm -hmm. so much muscle. Um, I couldn't walk for, you know, three months. So it just extreme atrophy in my hips and my um, thighs and even my calf. So it's been, you know, I've had two surgeries since breaking my leg. They put in um, a nine inch plate or an eight inch plate and nine pins when I broke my bone. So I had that taken out and it's thankfully a lot better. But now I, I just feel like I said, so, so freeing because I'm not obsessing over running all the time or having to, you know, quote, burn calories off or anything. Like we have a dog now and walking him twice a day is the, like, that's perfect for me. If I don't do anything else activity wise, like I feel so good with just a gentle walk around the neighborhood. It gets me outside. It's refreshing. It's not too strenuous on my body. It doesn't increase stress that I already have with just my day to day (laughs) livelihood. (laughs) Um, so it's that, you know, doing some strength training when I can some yoga when I can, um, I'm getting into some like bar classes just to try something new. And it just feels really good to just have a good variety of things and not have like a specific routine that I feel required to follow all the time. I love that. And I love your dog. He, I am his, I'm a big fan of him on Instagram. <laughs> and, uh, 
Um, I, I can so remember when there was a time in my own journey where I didn't even consider the walks with my dogs as counting as exercise. And I think so many people can relate to that where they walk to work or do a lot of movement throughout the day and don't even count that. And that counts. That is movement and, and it can often be extremely healthy in terms of your mental health and, and stress relief and all of those good things. Absolutely. Yeah. I love to hear that um, in your story. Now, how did all of this turn into you becoming a dietitian and a non-diet dietitian? <laughs> yeah. So I think I always had a passion for nutrition once I learned how much it impacted me. So even though I started my undergrad as an exercise and sports science bachelor's, I kind of had this feeling that I would continue on with more of a nutrition focus. Um, I went to a really small school, so they didn't have an opportunity to transition into a nutrition path, but I decided to take all the necessary classes during that time to get me into um, a post-baccalaureate at a different school. Mm -hmm. So um, I worked full-time after I graduated with my bachelor's and then went back to school part-time to get all my nutrition and dietetics courses completed. And at that same time, as I worked for a like corporate wellness company on more of the fitness side of things, I also worked part-time for a startup company that has kitchen studios across the country and they do cooking classes. So I became a cooking instructor there and I was part of the first franchise. So I really saw the company grow in sense of like what the instructors did and, and the impact it had on the entire community. And I just fell in love with the culinary aspect of, you know, educating in a hands-on approach because that's exactly what I went through. I had to learn how to grocery shop in a town that only had a Walmart, but I was gluten-free and eating vegetarian and it was a challenge, but I had to learn how to do that and overcome that. And then moving to an area, like a Metroplex, I was like, wow, there's so many more options here. Look at what all I can do. And it was just really exciting to get involved in the kitchen and and just try new things and be adventurous. So being able to apply that passion into an area where I could help others have that same um, experience just really drew me in. So that's kind of how I got on the path as more of a culinary dietitian. And I knew I wanted to have more of that like hands-on approach. Yes. And through that whole education experience, um, you know, as a dietitian, you go through this like internship and you have all these required rotations that you have to do. The four months I spent in clinical was like the hardest thing for me because I knew right off the bat that was just not the place for me. And 
And I was not the type of person to just give you a piece of paper and say, read this and I'm going to leave now. (laughs) I needed more human (laughs) connection than that. So taking this like non-diet approach has been really fulfilling for me because I can help a lot of people who have been on a similar path that I had gone on and, and help them hopefully be free of that sooner than what I was able to free from. (laughs) I love that, Shannon. And I think you're doing an incredible job. And we will definitely get into those pieces of paper that dietitians (laughs) hand out. And we will get into the culinary aspect of of your work because that's an even more specific niche within your specific niche that is that I love because as you know my passion is in cooking and shopping and and teaching people how to get organized with all of this so before we get into that as a dietitian can you tell us what is the problem with dieting oh gosh if there was one problem that would be great but unfortunately there's a lot of different problems and If I just had to pick one, the one that irks me the most is that diet culture as a whole is seeking out for everyone to basically live the same way and look like the same person. And if we all were the same person, what would this world be? It would be so boring, first of all. But it's, it's just so heartbreaking that diet culture makes us feel like we have to be or act like a specific person and that, you know, the only way that we can be healthy is to exercise intensely or to eat in a very restrictive way or that we have to think these very harming thoughts. And it has an effect on our mental, emotional, and physical health. So like chronically, it just really eats away at us. It slows our metabolism. It increases the risk for disordered eating. It absolutely leads to nutrient deficiencies. Um, It can technically lead to more weight gain in the future if the reason you're dieting is to reshape your body. Then of course there's that mental component and it just causes us to lose the trust that we have with our bodies and think that is like a really important piece when you're learning to not be on a diet all the time is is learning how to trust your body and know what is going to work for you not necessarily your neighbor even your spouse or your parent or your best friend like this this journey has to work for you and only you because there's no other body like you, despite what diet culture is trying to tell us. I love your answer to this question, Shannon. I mean, there are so many differences, not only genetic differences in terms of what our bodies are supposed to look like, right? We are so different. There is such a thing as body diversity and diet culture tells us that that does basically does not exist and we need to kind of fight fight that barrier but we also have diff- cultural differences foods we love that other people might not even have within their diets uh, just time restraints money restraints two jobs versus just one job or I, there are so many differences and you're right that the one of the problems with dieting is that it 
puts us all in the same box and we're not in that same box. Yeah, exactly. No, I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there, well, I know there is, and that's what you base your entire work around, but what is the alternative to dieting if we still want to look after our health? I like to use a holistic approach. Like when we talk about the word health, I refer more to our, our well-being. Mm-hmm. Like how do we want to feel just as a human being? And it involves many different aspects, um, including nutrition and movement and sleep and stress management those are primarily the ones that I'll focus on as a dietitian because we can't have one without the other. It does re- uh, can require, excuse me, a balance of all of those. But then we can also, you know, look outside of that with our social health, our educational yes. or vocational health, our financial health, like all, all of those play a role in how we are as a human being as well. Um, but again, I do focus mostly on the nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress management. Um, so when we look at nutrition, I definitely lean more towards intuitive eating and getting back to trusting our body. And that in the simplest terms is just being the humans that we were meant to be, you know, learning how to eat based off of feelings and, and hunger cues and, and what our body is trying to tell us, which can take you know, a lot of time to relearn, but engaging all of our different senses to learn that as well. And, and getting active in the kitchen, practicing what that feels like for you is a huge part of what I like to coach. And then with the movement piece, as we've kind of talked about my journey is, you know, learning how movement affects our entire body and well-being from our mental, emotional, and physical standpoint. You know, are we engaging in physical activity because we feel like we, quote, should, or that we Mm -hmm. have to, or is it because Mm -hmm. we truly feel good and want to? Um, Is it something that we can sustain for the rest of our lives? Does it bring us joy? Does it allow us to connect with other people? Um, So we definitely look at, you know, how movement can be a part of our life in a way that, you know, isn't harmful to us, but is definitely more beneficial. I love that. And I love that you mentioned social health, because I think that sometimes is the first one to go when we fall down this dieting rabbit hole. And we neglect our relationships, the fact that we need to be spontaneous with food as well, that we need to be able to be flexible with food as well, even when we have you know, dietary restrictions of, of, for example, people who are ethical vegans, we need to be able to have a little bit of wiggle room to adapt to circumstances and know that nobody is meant to be perfect. And uh, I think that's so important. I love that, that you mentioned well-being and are reframing sort of that idea of health because that wellness culture that we live in right now has completely, um, taken that word and made it mean something else, right? Absolutely. And I can speak as someone who works in corporate wellness and has for 10 years now that it is a very hard space for me to be in as a non-diet dietitian because a lot of times, you know, corporate companies bring in a corporate wellness, (laughs) um, 
professionals or, you know, third-party company to help with their employees' health. And it's Mm -hmm. all weight management focused. And while that's totally okay to have a goal like that, it's reframing how we get there and how we pursue it, right? It's not weight loss. That's the end result. It's feeling healthy, feeling confident, feeling energized, feeling happy. So how do we build habits to feel all of those feelings versus simply just trying to reform or reshape the way we look? So yeah. totally different, you know, coaching experience. And that's something that I'm trying to include in corporate wellness now is that, you know, if anyone asks me what I'm going to do for their employees, it's never weight loss or weight management. It's we're taking energy breaks. We're doing cooking lessons. We're doing deep breathing exercises. It's never yeah. a meal plan or anything like that. Right. Uh, that just makes me think of that very important aspect of intuitive eating where they ask you this real, it's really hard. It's a really hard task in this world that we live in. And it's to put weight loss on the back burner and to focus on the habits, focus on getting enough sleep, focus on attunement noticing hunger and fullness levels, all of that good stuff. And that is hard. It is hard to navigate when the entire culture is telling us that that needs to be a part of our everyday life. Absolutely. It's, it's so sad, but I'm, I'm so grateful that it's, I don't know, beginning to change with people like you. Uh, And in the corporate world, I can't even imagine how much of that wellness culture is present there. It must be hard to tackle that, I'm sure. It is. It is. But I'm making headway so far. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't doubt that. That's wonderful. Now, one of the things that really drew me to your work, other than your incredible Instagram reels, which are (laughs) just the funniest, most inspirational uh, content. I love your Instagram account. And of course, just your approach to to nutrition and to everything you do is that you talk so much about the cooking itself. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious as to why you saw that providing support, like hands-on support with cooking was actually something that your clients needed. Yeah, that's an awesome question. And it's really from personal experience of how I transitioned into a place where I could feel good and thrive with food and also connection, um, all from the kitchen. And when I think back to when I was being, you know, more restrictive with my foods. I remember like specifically measuring out one teaspoon of oil or only using water in the pan to cook things instead of sauteing and oil or always swapping out ingredients because they were quote healthier or low calorie. And I just think back to how those foods tasted and I have to laugh. I'm like, Food is more than just fuel. It is so much more than just fuel. Yes, it's needed for energy, 
But food has always had an emotional connection to humans ever since the time of birth. We cried when we were hungry. That is emotion connected to food. We grew up eating cake for special occasions, right? So to lose that emotional connection and to change the way our traditional family recipes are or that our cultural recipes are presented only because you think it's going to be healthier for you. It's just sad to, to, to think about that because you're losing so much from this experience. So I like to call it kitchen therapy. And this is, this is really where I get the most like time to myself is just turning on some cooking music and truly vibing in the kitchen. I can't tell you the last time I like went off a specific recipe of any sort, but it's taken a lot of years of practice to get to the point where I can just pull a bunch of random things out of the refrigerator, freezer, pantry and put something together. But it's it's a process of engaging your taste, your smell, your sight, what you're listening to as things are cooking, the textures of foods and letting those sensations kind of guide you through the cooking process and letting your hunger and your feelings and your thoughts guide you through what you want to eat, what's going to taste the most satisfying to you, what's going to bring you joy from the moment you grocery shop for that food to the time it gets on your plate. And it's just such a wonderful experience once you're able to navigate that and break free from those more dieting thoughts and, you know, healthy swaps for ingredients. Once you can learn how these foods truly make you feel, then it's it's just so liberating. It feels so good. And I just love being able to get in the kitchen and whip something up just because it's it's now so fun for me. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time unless you want it to take time. But that's really where my kitchen therapy philosophy comes from is time and practice and patience and and learning how to be you. That's incredible. I I couldn't have said it better myself in terms of how exciting and healing your time in the kitchen can actually be. It's the reason I started our business. I wanted to show to people how cooking could go from being this either task you had to get over with, this thing that you just had to do to feed your family uh, or to feed yourself and take it to a form of self-expression and and just getting to know ingredients and just the act of shopping itself, how magical it can be when you connect to how you're feeling that day and what ingredients you want to choose. It's just, it's so special. And I love that you include that in your, in your practice with clients. It is so rare for a dietitian to do that. Uh, what I wanted to ask you next, it, it it has something to do with this because my first experience with a registered dietitian, well, I think my my very first one was a sheet of paper printed out with a <laughs> diet plan, and that's it. It really was just that. It was ten minutes 
uh, <laughs> and just take this home and eat what's on that list. And then I had a just a very traumatic experience with a weight loss centered registered dietitian who not only gave me the printout with the diet plan, but she, I remember she weighed me and kind of did some calculations and told me, well, listen, I think we're going to get you down to this weight. I'm not going to mention what weight that was, uh, because I think your face can take it. This was her literal sentence. I will never forget it. I will never forget it. So years later, after all the damage had already been done with that experience, I I looked up that number and that would have put me in the underweight category. And I know BMI has this whole, you know, it's a problematic number, but that was very dangerous advice. And so my experiences early on in life until I found non-diet dietitians and intuitive eating and all of that, it was just extremely disconnecting from my body, from the reality of my just the physical body and also what I liked to eat, uh, what I could afford when shopping, because this was when I was very, very young and just a student. Uh, it was just not good. It was not good. So I want you to share with the listeners, what is it like to work with a non-diet dietitian? What is the whole process when someone walks through your doors, even if they're virtual? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that experience. I know you're one of many probably that have had uh, an experience like that. And thankfully, our, you know, industry is is slowly transitioning. um, And we're seeing more and more non diet dietitians, or at least, you know, some dietitians that are more open-minded away from just weight loss as a end goal. Um, but as a non-diet dietitian, I always like to just say that we're, we are non-judgmental, right? You can come to us with anything. You can feel free to be open and honest and share however many details you feel comfortable with. We're not going to require you to share anything that you don't want to, but the more open you are, the better we can support you. Um, We know that there's definitely an emotional and mental component to this. So we want to make sure that you have a good support system, whether that's just family and friends to talk to or a mental health professional that you can lean on as you're Mm -hmm. transitioning, maybe away from dieting or disordered eating. But um, it's good to be very transparent with clients that this is going to probably be an uncomfortable journey because you're you're going into uncharted waters. You might not have, you know, experienced a life without dieting, or maybe it's just been so long since you haven't dieted that it's going to feel very new for you to go back to, um, you know, that type of eating, intuitive eating. So we like to look at, you know, both short-term and long-term goals. We keep that long-term goal in mind and we break it down into smaller chunks and just work baby step by baby step. I always like to ask, you know, where do you see yourself with food 10, 20, 30 years from now? 
Um, how do you want to feel in your body, you know, 30 years from now? Where did your current nutrition guidelines come from? And, you know, why are those food rules a part of your eating pattern? Like what led you to where you are now? Because then we have a better understanding of, you know, maybe how to work through some misinformation or lack of education there. Um, For plant-based eaters, I like to always ask, you know, what's your purpose for eating plant-based Uh, What's keeping you motivated with a plant-based eating style, whether it's health, ethical reasons, environmental reasons, that purpose can really drive us forward away from the dieting approach. Um, We always talk about our body image and body confidence. How does that play a role in how we feel with food and movement and just, you know, overall outlook on our day-to-day life? Um, That's really big. What you won't see with the non-diet dietitian is a specific meal plan. Mm -hmm. So just, I'm very straightforward with people that come to me um, because I'm in the plant-based space. I get a lot of clients that are looking to transition to a plant-based eating pattern. So the first thing they ask is, will you make me a meal plan so that they can like get started right away? And that's not something that I do. I will tell you from day one that you are here to learn how to make your own meal plan. And I am 100% going to be there step by step to help you make your own meal plan and to give you maybe some tweaks along the way, ask questions, um, work through any challenges that come up. But I am not the one who knows how much food you need to eat, what food you're craving at that point in time, or when you are going to be hungry. That is all up to you. And that's what we relearn is how to answer those questions yourself. I love this idea of learning how to make your own meal plan. It is such a a perfect way to describe it and how liberating to know that they're basically putting you back in the driver's seat. They're putting, you're putting your clients back sort of in charge. And that's very empowering. I think I, I, I find that so incredible about intuitive eating and, and this work that you do. Now, what would you tell to someone who understands because they've gone on the many diets, they've been down that road, it hasn't worked, it's resulted possibly and probably according to the statistics out there to even more weight gain, they just feel completely disempowered. They want to give this a try, but they are still on the fence, they are a little bit scared of letting go of the rules. What would you say? Take a deep breath because all your feelings and thoughts right now are completely valid. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight. You don't have to be 100% confident in this journey right now. And it's something that is going to take time. So you absolutely have the right to take time to think about it. And I would definitely advise them to maybe talk to someone who's maybe not a dietitian, but someone who has gone through intuitive eating to see what their experience like is like. With the disclaimer that everyone's is going to be different, but maybe like what were some of the challenges that they experienced as they transitioned through the intuitive 
eating journey and, you know, what were some of the benefits that they, um, faced and and are experiencing right now and how that's changed their lives from chronic dieting to intuitive eating, getting a good, good idea of, you know, what that could look like or, you know, how it could change their view of health, really. I love that. When someone has already started on this journey and they are fully engaged in it, they are connecting back with their bodies again, they're they're figuring out their path. What do you recommend when it comes to dealing with family members, friends who are very much still kind of immersed in diet culture, talking about dieting and having to navigate that? That has been a challenge in, in, in my own journey because I have a lot of family members who are very much in the dieting train and I know I'm not alone. Oh yeah. So you're definitely not alone. And it's such a tough situation to be in no matter where you are on your intuitive eating journey. You never want to hear, you know, thoughts of, of dieting or restriction or calorie counting. It's just, it's very hard to take that in, especially in like a family or friend situation when you're just trying to have some fun, right? And you're like, oh no, not this topic again. (laughs) (laughs) So again, deep breath. (laughs) You're not the only one going through this, but as you face it, probably alone in this group setting, If you have any ounce of confidence in you at that moment, use it to be open and honest. These are probably people that are close enough in your life that you're hearing this from that you can just say, you know, I'm taking a different approach to my nutrition or movement or just, you know, well-being journey right now. And and I'd love for this conversation to be held at another point, maybe without me. Can we talk about something else? Just quickly change the topic. You don't have to express your reason why unless you want to. Just saying it's making you uncomfortable. You don't want to talk about it. And if they continue talking about it, then maybe that's not the right time for you to be around this group. You can absolutely take a break. You can walk away from the conversation, come back another time. But it's it's something you're probably going to face more than one time. And yeah. the, the more you do experience it and the more you express your, your honesty with you know, how this conversation makes you feel, the more confident you will be in voicing how you feel and doing it again. And yeah, it, it, it's those boundaries. Oh, they are so hard to put in place for so many of us, especially if we're introverts or we're a bit shy, or there are certain dynamics with family members and friends that have been in place for years. And now we're going to suddenly change things up on them. It, it, it's hard, but it's so important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yes. I, I love that. I love those tips. Let's get into cooking a little bit. So. <laughs> I, you teach something that I also teach our students, and that is meal planning and meal prepping. And I wanted to ask you, what are the different for you? What are the differences between the two and how you approach this with clients when it's a non-diet approach, when it's not a meal plan, but you're meal planning? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of times people use these two terms interchangeably and they're technically very different. 
So meal planning is when you take some dedicated time to truly plan out what you're going to eat for the future. It could be the next day. It could be the next three days. It could be the next week. I usually don't like looking more than a week in advance because (laughs) that can be a little overwhelming at once. But when you're looking at meal planning, it's everything from meals and snacks to how much of a certain food you might need to purchase, Mm -hmm. Um, getting down your grocery list, having some backup plans in case your hunger or your taste preferences change, taking inventory of what you already have in the kitchen so that you always have pantry staples or something to make on the fly if you decide to change things up. But then definitely looking at the nutritional content and the variety of foods that you're laying out for the set number of days you're planning, especially as a plant-based eater, that can be really important. So once we get the hang of just taking a little bit of time on a free day to look at how many meals and snacks you need and what types of foods you might want to eat or cuisines that you're looking at, then we kind of look at the more specifics of you know, how many beans, legumes, soy-based foods, grains, fruits, vegetables, fats do we have within this meal plan? And you can mm-hmm. adjust accordingly. Um, when it comes to meal preparation, this is like the active steps of cooking your foods. So, right. you know, diet culture looks at this as spending your entire Sunday oh my God. prepping every single meal and snack for the week ahead and portioning them specifically into uh, meal containers. And I was that person. I was definitely that person. But I also had a, like, I worked 30 minutes away and I was leaving the house at 7.30 in the morning and not coming home until 4 or 5 p.m. So the fact that I meal prepped on a Sunday was very helpful for me because yeah. I'd, otherwise I wouldn't have access to food in the area where my office was. But the fact that I did that for so long and I was eating the same foods like literally every single day, I was bored to tears with what I was eating by Thursday or Friday. And so when we look at food preparation, maybe it is preparing a lot of your foods and batch cooking on a free day. Maybe it's planning something the night before. So you have something ready for breakfast and lunch the next day. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's using the 30 minutes before your scheduled dinner time to cook dinner. It can be any time. It's just the active, you know, work that you're putting into a specific meal or snack chopping, cutting, washing, sauteing, baking, roasting, whatever it may be. That's where meal preparation is versus the meal planning is kind of more of a thought-based scenario. Yeah. I love that you mentioned having, just including the possibility of changing the plan because when we're doing intuitive eating, it's so important to connect to what you feel like eating on a particular day or moment, or perhaps you had a more active day and the thing you had planned is just not going to fuel you enough and you need more. So what do you suggest in, in the practice, in practical terms we do to add that wiggle room if we're doing a bit of meal planning or, or meal prepping? Yeah. So I use the meal component method. Um, and I'll say 
<laughs> through my whole journey of nutrition and, and exercise and using more of a non-diet approach, I hardly ever meal prep in advance anymore unless I know specifically I'm going to be away from the home for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, I love just jumping in the kitchen the day of or the time of and throwing something together. Um, Not to say I don't meal plan. I definitely meal plan, but the preparation I leave for that moment when I'm feeling good and want some kitchen therapy. So when we look at meal planning from a non-diet standpoint, we always want to allow some flexibility, which is why I use this meal component method. So we talk about building a balanced meal. We look at having some sort of fiber-rich carbohydrate. So that could be starchy vegetables, whole grains, um, some fruits. Then we've got our non-starchy vegetables. And that's its own component because, of course, it's really rich in fiber and lots of vitamins and minerals that plant-based eaters need to be mindful of. Then we look at our, you know, our higher protein sources, which is, you know, another topic when it comes to plant-based eating. We've got protein in all sorts of foods with the exception of oils and, you know, fruits are pretty low in protein. But when we think of higher proteins, plant-based sources, we do want to bring those in in a separate component. So those could be beans, lentils, uh, soy-based foods. Uh, if you're more of a vegetarian and you include dairy products um, or eggs, nuts and seeds and nut butters, those can also be in that category. Then we have our fat component. So it could be the oil that you're cooking your vegetables in. It could be um, a dressing, a sauce, a marinade. It could be a garnish if you're sprinkling nuts and seeds on top. And then the last component is more of like a flavor factor. So seasonings, herbs, garnishes, sauces, condiments, things like that to flavor it up however you want. So instead of specifically mapping this you know, recipe or meal out for the whole week, it's looking at these meal components and all the different ingredients that fall into each component and choosing maybe two or three from each for the week ahead. Um, We'll use that as an example. And maybe cooking them in in batch ahead of time or having them ready to go when you do crave that specific ingredient and mixing and matching them into a bowl. I I eat everything out of a bowl. So. <laughs> Huge fan of the veggie bowls, and this yes. is it, this is so similar to the way I we teach our students to to do a little bit of what I call batch cooking, and it's just pick some of these things, prepare them when you have the time, and just do a little bit more, make a little bit more than you would usually make, and have that there, so you only have to grab it. And maybe you're making an a, another component of the meal. But that one's already done. It's already set. I love how you've um, kind of have how you've broken up these these components for us. So, so helpful. Do you have any specific tips for when different family members eat in a different way? For example, we have uh, plant based eaters or, or vegans and and some family members who don't eat in this way. Yes. Um, this is how my household is currently because my fiance is not. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. He's not entirely plant-based. Um, he's also not gluten-free and despises gluten-free foods as much as he has willingly tried. 
Um, so pasta night in our house is so many dishes. But there is definitely a way that, you know, non-vegans and vegans can cook and eat together. I like to use meat extenders. Um, That's a great way to incorporate both plant proteins and animal-based proteins. So meat extenders are basically plant-based sources that extend not only the quality, but the quantity of a meal. Mm -hmm. And these can be beans, lentils, mushrooms, um, soy-based foods like tempeh and tofu, nuts and seeds. And they really just kind of add to the meal by also providing fiber and any sort of plant-based vitamins and minerals in there. So as an example, uh, something we make a lot is a red lentil bolognese sauce. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, a family member or someone eating with you prefers the beef or the meat-based bolognese sauce, start by just making the red lentil sauce as is, and then you can cook the ground meat in a separate skillet and transfer some of the red lentil sauce into the ground meat skillet and let that simmer and absorb all the flavors. And then you have two separate sauces, but it was really only one extra step to cook the meat separately. This is so helpful. So you call this meat extenders? Meat extenders. Meat extenders. Yes. It's it's such a great way to show how we can cook the sort of main component plant-based and then add, think of of the addition of the meat or the fish or whatever our our other, our partners or or kids are uh, are eating. That is very helpful. That's such a helpful example. Shannon, oh my goodness. I mean, I could talk to you forever. You are just, I I can't, if you could see all of the papers I have in front of me, I've been taking notes and notes and notes. It's, it's so wonderful, so practical. Your approach is so hands-on and practical. Uh, I'm so excited that you came here to share all your wisdom with us. Now, please tell all of the listeners where they can find you if you have uh, consultations available, if they want to have a consultation with you, just share away. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was such a wonderful conversation and I could definitely keep talking too. But <laughs> we'll have to have a part two maybe. Um. Oh, for sure. Feel free. This like my, my doors are open to you anytime you want to come back. Thank you. Um, so listeners can find me on Instagram at Chef Shannon Nutrition. And then my website is the same thing, chefshannonnutrition.com. And I have a free guide to plant-based grocery shopping on there. You can also uh, subscribe to my email newsletter. And I am opening some more one-on-one nutrition counseling spots in the next month or two. And definitely more after June when some of us wedding planning is off our shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. That's wonderful, Shannon. Thank you so much, everybody. All of the links will be in the show notes. So you can just click on over and go get that free guide, which sounds amazing. And Shannon, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Oh, thank you so, so much. And thanks for everyone who's listening. Here are some takeaways from my conversation with Shannon. From health challenges in her youth to elimination diets to true health and balance with food and exercise, 
Shannon has turned personal difficulty into a superpower that now helps others find peace with food. When too much of a good thing is not a good thing anymore, if you've become excessively worried about food and the meals you eat, if your social life has been altered, if you were overly focused on making everything from scratch and afraid of certain foods or over-exercising and very much worried about your exercise and food habits, it might be time to seek some help. Diet culture seeks to turn us all into the same eater with the promise of the same body type if we do everything right. But this is not only not possible for most of us and unrealistic, but also why? Why would we want to do the same as everyone else? Why would we want to be the same as everyone else? Why would you have to eat and move the same as everyone else? In a non-diet approach, there is space for all the nuance that makes you, you. And the process includes finding what will work for you and your needs. We need to reframe and redefine the word health. Health is not only what is achieved through perfect and pure nutrition. It encompasses the foods we eat, yes, but also how we relate to movement, stress, sleep, It includes our social health, our financial health. It has less to do with perfection and more to do with how do you want to feel as a human being. From the words of a registered dietitian with all the studies and qualifications, food is more than just fuel. When you're first braving the wilderness and uncharted waters of intuitive eating and leaving restriction behind, it's normal to have challenges, doubts, and to be a bit apprehensive or skeptical. There is space for all of that, and you can begin to build this new relationship with food and eating one step at a time. It will not happen overnight, and non-diet dietitians with an intuitive eating approach like Shannon are there to help you along the journey when needed. When still surrounded with friends and family who repeatedly engage in diet talk, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. It's okay to say, I'm trying a different approach or to change the subject, to take a break and walk away. Ever experienced a free session of kitchen therapy? Next time you head into your kitchen, try to view your time in there just like Shannon described it. Put on some music, stay connected and present. Let the tastes, smells, sounds, let the process guide you. Spend that time with yourself and your food in the kitchen without the fear of making mistakes. Think of what is going to bring you joy and make it. A little planning, a little preparation can be so helpful throughout the week. And it doesn't have to look like those Pinterest pictures of identical bento boxes already filled with measured out prepared meals. It can be preparing for the next day or the next meal. Three days, two days, batch cooking some components, using meal extenders if you share your life with non-vegans. And there is always wiggle room to listen to your body and change the plan. And finally... We all have the power to connect with our own bodies, our own needs, our own desires, while at the same time meeting nutrient needs. We can learn, thanks to the work of people like Shannon, how to make our own meal plan and find true relief from the shoulds and rigid rules. Thank you so much to Shannon for joining us in this incredible episode, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening.